back on the podcast today and I'm excited, really excited actually to have a very, very special guest. It's a footballer that I've always admired, even when he didn't play for my team. Currently does play for my team, playing at Crusaders Football Club. It is Philip Laurie. Philip, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Iron Cup man, cheers. Well, Philip, your career is massive in my opinion you know i'm looking at it you know from where you started to where you're ending up and a lot of trophy laden career if i can put it that way um <laughs> you know just wherever you go you win you know um, i don't know how competitive you are i assume you are because you keep winning would that be a, would you would you be super competitive uh yeah i think it's only natural enough um if you just really want to do anything in in, in life in general it makes sense to do it right and to do to the best year of all day and that obviously brings out a, a naturally competitive side uh, anyway but no of course when it comes to football um i've just been i kind of started winning at a very young age and got accustomed to it and after that it's very difficult once you taste success um it's very difficult to settle for anything less than that so i'd agree i'm probably competitive and everything but obviously more so in, in football than anything yeah big time your brother Stephen obviously plays and He's had a great career as well. Your dad, I believe, was a referee, if I'm right. That's right, yeah. Uh-huh. Was your family always a, a football family then? Uh, yeah, just kind of growing up, we just kind of, you know, probably a bit of old school. The, the technology we're probably lucky enough wasn't as as potent and, and, as, and as freely available as it is nowadays. So a lot of time was obviously just spent outside and having a brother who you know similar interest and and you know not a million miles edgeways away from me probably helped us so you know, we just kind of we were left to it when we were younger kind of just played every sport going really and then um we were always obviously leaning towards football but um both went to a grammar school where where you weren't allowed to play football until third year so we were kind of into everything about a rugby cricket Gaelic, you name it. If if it had a if it had a ball and, and a team worth being part of, then we were genuinely in it. So no, it was just um, and then obviously as you as you get older and you you develop a, a specific skill set, then we were always sort of going to lean towards football anyway. But no, it was, as you say, we were always a very sport sport heavy family, and you know it's a it's a great release in in, in life as well. So it's 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 led us down a good path to be honest. Big time, especially for both you and Stephen you know obviously being a fan of of Crusaders but the Irish League as a whole it it, I've seen both your journeys you know throughout your career both in the Irish League and um it is a phenomenal journey for both of you but how did you start out then like were were you playing at junior level and then made the move was it Limavady United before Institute yeah it was um so obviously I grew up in Limavady that's where our family are from and uh just played through all the youth levels, and then probably the the biggest breakthrough for myself was was playing in the in the Mill Cup for for the county team and uh, in the under sixteen team. I was captain that year, and I remember having a really strong tournament and thinking, you know, things could kick on from here. And uh, when I got back, um, I was training with Limavady Youth. I played Limavady Youth that year, and I kind of finished. They only went up to under sixteen, so it was kind of a bit of a a crossroads. And Stephen was playing for; he just broke through. The first team at that time as well for Nova United under um, Tommy Wright, um, 
and then Paul Keane and John Cunning and Bugsy got the job and uh, I remember I think they were short one night for a for a reserve game towards the very end of the season. I think they maybe just needed to play at the kind of finish out the season and Stephen was going and, and Paul asked me to come along and uh, I played the second half. I think it was a way up, up in lock goal and I remember I just had one of them games where kind of everything just came off for me in the second half and then got invited to go to pre-season uh, with Limavati United the following year and it just kind of spiralled from there. Obviously it's after I think when I played the first season at Limavati I kind of broke through when I was about 17 and then the league and Limavati were kind of in a difficult enough position and the um, part of the company with John and, and Paul at the end of that year and then I remember uh, Liam Beckett rang me so I took myself up, up the road to, to shoot then. And Liam Beckett as well. What was it like playing under Liam Beckett? He's quite a character. <laughs> it was just it was exactly like you would imagine it to be. To be honest. It was a bit of everything. It was you know, team talks on buses and stories about everything under the sun you can imagine and uh, uh, what you see with Liam on the on the TV and what you hear on the radio was exactly what he was like as a manager. He just was a, a proper character and you know he, he wasn't overly tactical as a manager. He kind of relied on uh, on his on his team talks and his speeches. And but he's a great football man. And at the time, I was looking back. I, if it was nowadays, I'm, I was probably saying, you know, what was I thinking leaving you know my hometown sort of team where all my mates were to to go up there. When I was 18, I don't really know why I did it, to be honest, back then. But um, uh, no, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I played uh, about 40 games that year, you know, in the Premiership. And even though we struggled, probably, you know, I think we finished maybe second or, or third bottom. For my own personal development, it was brilliant. I sort of learned the ropes and playing against men you know, benefited me sort of physically massively. It kind of filled me out and toughened me up a good bit. And, playing with some of the players we had at that time it was a good learning curve for me as well so really grateful to Stuart and you know, I, I loved my, my two seasons there to be honest So then you're playing every week in the Premier League and eyes are on you of course in the Premier League and none bigger than perhaps the godfather of the Irish League of say David Jeffrey okay. and Linfield and you made the move the big move probably the biggest move you could probably make at that point in your career to a serial win in Linfield side, if I'm correct. You know, I can't remember if if they won that league the year before or if that was um, yeah. the year um, Glen Torn won it. And then was it the was the year the Glens. Yeah, uh, Glens had won it that year. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's um, it was strange because um, I'd been playing for Stuttgart from being up around the northwest. You know, Corey and had kind of been pushing really hard, and to be honest, I was I was literally on the verge of signing for them I think I had everything agreed and then I was in first year at university at the time at Queen's and I remember being in Elms <laughs> village in the halls and uh, me and my mate were just sitting in the phone goes and it was I remember picking it up and uh, it's just it was, all of a sudden it was David Jeffrey ringing me I just think this is a bit surreal here but um, no he just said that I want to come round to Windsor Park for a chat and I think that was on the Monday and went round there on the Tuesday and I don't think I was ever getting out of there without signing to be honest um, uh, no, it was it was a kind of dream come true for me then you know growing up you're kind of you know you just always associated Linfield and Van Torn back then with with being the big two I know it's a wee bit different now maybe there's maybe four or five teams back then it was it was kind of Linfield or Glen Torn if you wanted to win the league that's where that's where you went and uh, 
you know, whenever whenever David Jeffrey came calling, there was, was never any doubt in my mind that I was that I was going to sign there. Mm-hmm. A very interesting character, um, David Jeffrey. A, a silly story that I always remember. My mum's a nurse, and she's seen him in the hospital one time, and my mum. No, no real clue about football just knows oh he watches Crusaders that type of thing she knew David Jeffrey from the TV and said oh my son's a Crusaders fan would you sign something for him and he signed his name and underneath it he went scratch, scratch a crew find a blue and she didn't have a clue what that was about and she brings that home so I got you this and I look at it and went oh mom you've been done here <laughs> uh, yeah. no Davis honestly like you hear every player it's worked under under him you just hear the same same stories and you know I'm, I'm no different he was he was just phenomenal for me he was um so genuine and you just knew exactly where you stood with him and he just took my game you know to a completely new level and i don't really think it was you know from a technical aspect he really done anything that made me better it was just you know the belief that you had in yourself and the the positivity that he brought around the place and you know, the camaraderie in that change room it was just a great time to play for Lumford then because yeah. You know, there was like some myself, Billy Joe, um, Robert Gard, Michael Carvel, Mark McAllister, all kind of in and around the same age. You know, we all were really just good mates. We really enjoyed each other's company. And then you blended that in with, you know, the likes of like Michael Galt, Jim McGrew, Winky Murphy, Noel Bailey, you know, people who'd been there and done it. We just had a wee, there was just a click there, you know, over those three or four years where everyone just really enjoyed the dressing room and really enjoyed being part of it and the success obviously followed with that you know uh, as well as being a, a good team we were just a really good dressing room then at the time as well what about the expectation level from you know going into Linfield you know you've went from institute sort of in the bottom couple of teams in the league and then you're going into Linfield where the expectation is we're taking a title back was that a shock to you or was, or was that sort of your mentality going in when I'm here to win titles and how did that all how did that how did you feel about all that yeah, it was, it was just completely new for me. You know, I knew, I knew um, going up the Linfield, the expectations were big, but to be honest, I didn't realise how big the club actually were. You know, my first first year there, I think we went to play a pre-season friendly over in Liverpool, and you know, the fans. There was normally I'm used to playing. You no, know, I was used to playing in front of a couple hundred yeah. every week, and they were they were taking that to a pre-season friendly in, in, in Wales, like, and you're thinking. You know this is big, and you know the expectation levels were were huge. And you know, from playing against them, you always used to say, "Look, keep it tight here, and, and the crowd will turn on this team, and you know the pressure will go up." And it was like that playing for for Linfield, and that's why you see a lot of players go there. And I do think, you know, you really need to be mentally tough to play for the club. And uh, it was no different for myself, and um, you know, but you kind of just you feed off that expectation you know the changing room that we had then the, the competition for places um we used to we used to play training games on a on a thursday night um you know the manager would be saying you know this will determine the places on saturday and i don't know obviously it was a bit of gamesmanship from dave at the time he probably had a team pick long before then but <laughs> i remember the training the training matches used to be far and away quicker than anything you would see in the Irish league on a saturday it was the squad we had was just phenomenal. Like the com- the comp- competition and the competitiveness of the players was was crazy. Some of the tackles flying in. So <laughs> I think it just the, the training ground just bred the success. To be honest for us, then. And what about in that you know those training matches and competition for places? Did you ever feel you know if you didn't play, you're like oh no, I'm out of the team, or was it a big stage when I can't wait to 
Tuesday night or Thursday night and I'm going to put this right or how, how did it work maybe mentality wise um, if you were if you were or were not selected because they had Linville had a massive squad yeah. back then and it was quality everywhere uh, uh, you're right yeah it was, uh, initially I signed I was always a centre midfielder but um, David Kenny used me on the on the wide right on the autocade and then I just started scoring a lot of goals from out there so he kind of kept me out there until, until later on but you're right, the competition was crazy, but back then, I think because I was so young and probably so naive, it didn't really bother me if I wasn't in the team. I was just so happy to be there. You know, I'd have done, done anything just to, just to be involved. And back then, the squad, I remember he used to come in and pin the squad up on the on Thursday night, and there was like three lists. There was first team reserves, and then and you're unavailable. And there was just a clamber every Thursday to have a look at that list. <laughs> it was that it was that tight about who was going to be in the first team and who was going to be in the reserves. And some of the reserve teams that we had lined out that year were just ridiculous, like really. Yeah. And uh, um, that's the way it was. But for me, it was I was probably just so young and naive, and I realised that if you had a bad half, kind of never mind a bad <laughs> ninety minutes, you probably weren't seen again for four or five weeks. But it just made you hungrier to get back in. And as long as the team were winning, you could you could see past it. Yeah, and Davy as a character, um, as a motivator, what was he like in the changing room? You know, those big games with Glenn Torn and stuff like that, and especially then with that Linfield sort of side, it was almost like you're playing for Rangers or Celtic in the terms of you can't actually lose a match because if you lose, it's not acceptable, no matter who it is. Yeah. And in terms of that mentality, yeah. you just no matter even Glenn Torn, it's like right here's a team that can rival us, but because it's your rivals, you can't even you know. You, it's not acceptable from the fans, the club to lose there. What was Davy like in the changing room in terms of the team talks and stuff? Yeah, to be fair, like he was a lot of his team talks were very sort of serene. He was, um, you know, he was a great orator. He would always, he would always deliver his team talk, you know, really calmly. And there was no, there was no real, you know, chest thumping and 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 roaring and shouting before the match. It was all very calm. But the, it was just the the, the mannerism he had just made you feel a million dollars before you walked out. And that's, you know, he just the praise he was it was heaping on the players. And you know, you just couldn't wait to get out over the line. And but that's not to say that you know if you came in at half time and it wasn't going well, then obviously. <laughs> Their, their hairdryer treatment was coming like but um but that's it, with Davy it was never nothing was ever personal which is probably a sign of a, of a top manager he, you know you get some managers and you kind of think and you know that's not very genuine what he's saying to me but with Davy it was always just this is just for the good of the team and you know I'm shouting at you because I know you can do more or you know, it was never it was never for show with, with Davy it was always just down the line and this is what's best for the team and this is what I think will get us a result and you just had to accept that and if you didn't then you know it was never going to work for you but in terms of his, his team talks and um, he was Davy was a lot you know a lot of people just think David Jeffrey was a motivator but he, he knew a lot about the game obviously he, he played at an extremely high level and um, he would surprise a lot of people I think about you know the knowledge he actually has of the game you know a lot of people thought it's his early Linfield teams and stuff, they were just all about getting the ball, you know, long. But he was able to work out formations and, and systems, you know, based on who we were playing and stuff. And uh, in those days, to be honest, we had that kind of strong a team and that good a changing room. He kind of, I think, Davy realised that we didn't have to worry about much of the opposition. It was more so if we took care of ourselves and the rest would kind of look after itself. Yeah, I mean, your time at Linfield is incredible, especially in terms of the trophies that you won 
Um, correct me if I'm wrong here. Was it three league titles and three Irish Cups? And were they were all of them? They were all doubles, if I'm right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, in the first three seasons, it was just three doubles, kind of on the bounce, which is great, obviously. Yeah, I remember two specific Irish Cup finals where I went home gutted. Um, there was a a two-one <laughs> yeah. and an at a four-one where you know that was that was heartbreaking to sit and watch that in the cup final. But it, it showed <laughs> yeah. the, the quality of the the, the the squad. You know, the two-one was was a bit harder to because I thought we actually played well on the day and maybe deserved yeah. a bit. And Linfield really, he's really kind of showed up that business end that last 15, 20 minutes and really just took over. But the four-one the next year was heartbreaking, and then we were. We had Derry City and the Satanta the following Saturday, and I thought, what are they going to do to us? <laughs> you know, but what's your favourite? Do you have any favourite memories and times at Linfield? You know, we've talked a lot about your friends and the changing room and the camaraderie and things like that. Is there anything, obviously the league titles, the Cups, the, the, the County Antrim Shield, there's probably a lot, but anything specific that sticks out to you from your time um, at Linfield? A few things, yeah. Obviously, my first, um, you always you always savour your first trophy, but I remember... Yeah, the first first year probably winning the league and then scoring in the Irish Cup final the week later was just kind of a, a dream dream kind of week and dream start and got my taste for it kind of going. But there was there was loads of epic nights. There was loads of big, you know, when you were playing back then, the big two derbies were just, they were proper big games. I remember yeah. signing, I remember playing the night Keith Gillespie signed for the Glens at the Oval. And there must have been, you know, back then, it's hard to imagine now, obviously, with COVID and everything, but yeah. just, there were just people everywhere you looked behind the net, both sides, it was just a real, the atmosphere was just electric, and um, probably one of the best nights we had was was beating the Greek team in Europe out there. We beat them. Yeah. It was at a time when, you know, Europe was a lot different, you know, back then, even though it only was less than, than 10 years ago, we kind of, we always kind of were lambs to the slaughter, really, in Europe back then, there's big clubs, and the expectation wasn't really, you know, very high, but playing, I think it was Skoda Zanthi maybe, and um, we beat them 1-0 out there and it was just it was back to the wall for 90 minutes like 95 minutes, but we managed to make a goal in the break, so that was special and just every every kind of trophy there are, there's no real favouritism with any of them but you never get tired of, of winning them and as you say, the memories you have from it, it's just, yeah, it's amazing, like you'll never forget them. Yeah, it's true, like you know, your fondest memories from Linfield are some of my worst memories as a Crusaders fan but it, <laughs> but, 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 but it is funny, you know, the they're the things that stick with you, you know, those big moments, those big memories. But you touched on European football there, and I want to really just throw a few questions at you about the European football, because especially as a, yeah. a local team, you know, going into Europe, going to Greece away or going to wherever away, sometimes it's somewhere crazy away, but is there must be a lot of team bonding and camaraderie and all that sort of stuff. It's probably a bit of a, like a, a very good indirect team bonding session, maybe, when you are away, would that be accurate? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I think it's it's changing a lot now. Whereas you know, previously it maybe would have been a bit of a jo- jolly up, but um, that was never the case in any in any of the trips I've been. But as you say, the camaraderie on those trips is unbelievable. You you, get, you can just write a book on some of the stories. Like people, I think some boys it's maybe the first time they've ever been away from their house or whatever, <laughs> judged by some of the antics. But uh, no, as you say, I mean they're. They're just brilliant. They're just traveling together, you know, living together, eating together. It's it's amazing. And then some of the stadiums that you play in, and just the experience of everything. And obviously, nine times out of ten, you can get a night out, you know, at the, on the last night. And uh, you know, some of the stories, obviously, probably a lot of them not suitable for this this podcast. <laughs> just uh, 
some of the things I just brilliant crack and amazing memories and as well as that getting to see a lot of Europe as well when yeah. you're when you're at it it's, it's it's amazing and it's something that you know I've probably realized this year more than any from not making Europe last year it's having a conversation with one of the boys at cruise and um, just you miss it so much honestly it was this year was a, it was a hard pull to swallow not not you know watching the other clubs doing so well in Europe and not being able to be part of that and traveling to the to the grounds even you know even at bead like the fairway lens or you know belarus or wherever it's yeah. every trip's just just brilliant and something i really missed this year to be honest yeah i for me as a as a fan i, I love the european nights or something you know just sitting at cv and watching the match and the champions league music comes on or the Euro- europa league music whatever it, to me it still feels so surreal you know i remember going to taylor's avenue I'm watching Crusaders Carrick in the championship and to sort of see, you know, that difference, you know, it's a real incredible, you know, journey in my opinion. And sometimes you just sort of sit there and you sort of take it in and being like sitting here watching Wolves or Fulham as it was in 2011, I think, and stuff like that. And it's a really, sometimes it is very sort of surreal, but from Linfield, you went to Derry City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Under yeah. Peter Hutton, um, was it? So yeah, it was it was it was at a kind of a transitional stage for myself, and um, I had done five years at Linfield in McKenna. Um, I'd always had Derry City, you know, in my head from being down round there, and you know they'd obviously been so good under Stephen Kenny, and that uh, I'd, I'd been off. It was at the time when David David Jeffrey had left, and Warren Feeney was taking over, and I spoke very briefly to Warren, and there was a contract on the table, and then. I met with it was actually Roddy Collins was in charge of Derry, but they had kind of started that season in turmoil yeah. under him. Um, There's a lot of sort of unrest, and I don't think the fans were too happy. And I met him, uh, and I remember thinking, I'm definitely not signing for for Derry under him. Like it just, <laughs> I just don't think it would have worked for me at all. Um, and then he obviously got sacked, uh, and then Peter Hutton and the chief executive came down to my house and talked things over and. It sounded right to me at the time. It was going to be full time football for you know what was what was probably my hometown team in terms of you know the League of Ireland and uh, you know I had a lot of friends who were Derry City fans and family members and stuff. So it was it was a really a, it was a difficult decision, but it, I definitely don't regret it. You know I had yeah. five great years at Linfield and a lot of the team that I played with had had kind of transitioned on, on as well. So I, I definitely you know I could have happily have stayed at Linfield, but I was I was I needed to probably try something a bit different and uh, you know I don't regret it and um, signed under Peter Hutton and to be honest I, I really enjoyed playing the league and it was it was so different from the Irish league in terms of you know, back then the standard of players that were playing the league of Ireland every week um, some of the midfielders you were playing against were just it was, it was amazing it was like Keith Fahey Stephen McPhail Chris Forrester you know, top players who were who were knocking on the door of, of the of the Republic Ireland squad or already had had you know a serious amount of caps, so some brilliant players and you know, some getting to travel up and down the country and, and playing full time football. It's, it's not a hard life. Yeah, and um, let's can I talk about that? Because there's as much as Ireland and Northern Ireland, whichever way you want to look at it, a lot of things even, you know, from Crusaders you go to Balamino Way, it's forty minutes in the up the motorway or whatever, but some of the trips in the League of Ireland are pretty lengthy. How was that a big change for you a big challenge or was it something you were just like oh this is great i'm loving full-time football it feels like a proper away day 
Yeah, it was probably a bit of that, to be honest. Um, it's different if, you know, you're having to get away from work or take a half day or take annual leave or, you know, something like that. But, um, no, for me, it was just, it was, it was a, it was a breath of fresh air. We used to meet if it was a Dublin trip or, uh, you know, anything sort of north or north of that. We had met just in the morning and had a bite of bite to eat and got the coach down in good time and stopped in a hotel for a few hours and, you know, just chilled and relaxed and, and then went to the ground and anything kind of, further south of Dublin, like so the Corks and Limericks it would have been an overnight. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't anything to complain about. It was yeah. it was it was refreshing for me to experience it. And as as I said there, some of the grounds nearly or in the in the League of Ireland were brilliant, you know, like the Turner's Cross and, and Tala. Um you know, great stadiums with lots of history and really enjoyed playing playing against some of those players as well. When you went into Derry City then, like the expectations, they they're a massive club big fan base passionate fan base Derry City it's it's one of the heartbeats of the, of the city in general what was the change room sort of similar to maybe at Linfield in terms of the expectations and the size of the club and the and that sort of thing it was it was another huge club uh, you know you, the fan base um, someone had said to me before saying I remember thinking oh Derry's fans are you know, best fans ever anytime I'd played against them I was thinking or anytime I'd want, went up and watched Derry I always thought these fans are are top notch to be honest. You know they were just singing and dancing the full time. Yeah. I remember someone saying to me then when I signed, you know they're incredibly hard to play in front of. And but that was just the expectation. I was I was kind of used to that, and I'd agree with that. Derry City fans, they're best fans, best fans about. And but they're a difficult bunch to play in front of when it's not going well. But thankfully when I joined, we were kind of riding. What once we got um once Peter Hutton came in and got established, we kind of went on a good run. We were riding high. We had um. We had a great run at that team. At that time, we just had a real top team. There's, you know, Patrick Magalhaeni, Rory Patterson, Michael Duffy, and Stephen Dooley signed at the time. And we were just we got we just went on a serious run in the league, and obviously got to the final of the of the FAI Cup as well. So first season they signed there, to be honest, my game kind of went to another level. I kind of played a bit deeper and. And normally at Lanfield, I was just kind of you know running beyond all the time and just getting on the end of things. Whereas at Derry, I kind of played a different role, a lot deeper and starting a lot more of the attacks. And I kind of enjoyed that a lot more too, just seeing a different side of it. And the league was very different in that they allowed you to go in, you know, get on the ball and start the attacks. Whereas obviously in the Irish League, it's a lot more physically demanding probably, where you know you don't really get any time on the ball unless you kind of earn it really <laughs> where yeah. the League of Ireland was a lot more kind of continental style of football and that's obviously something you enjoyed then you know you enjoyed the the level up maybe in terms of the ball possession and maybe the technical side of the game at that, at that time yeah. compared to home anyway big, yeah big time and just some of the stuff you learned is just you know defensively you, you couldn't really switch off in that league against the big teams because they were so so efficient really if any mistake you made defensively you just you kind of always got punished you know it was like playing against a, a European team where you know and that's that's what I always find in Europe that the best teams in Europe kind of capitalise on the mistakes almost every time and that's kind of what it was like playing against the top teams in the League of Ireland at that time you just had to be so switched on and um, likewise they they would have sat off you but again trying to break them down was a lot more difficult as well in terms of their, their shape and their compactness and stuff but um, no, at that time we we had a, we had a decent decent side there, and we we had a good run going together. And the the brand of football that we played was just something that was so different for me, but it was so enjoyable. Just the 
the way they just there was a bit of total football really we were just playing out from the back and sort of a carefree team that were just yeah. not afraid to try anything and so we were just putting teams to the sword you know initially whenever I came into the team I remember at the Brandywell on Friday nights just any team that came just we just kind of seemed to play them off apart and we were we were playing really really well yeah like I think obviously as you've as you've got older and you said there you've enjoyed being a little bit playing maybe that little bit deeper and starting the attacks and things like that and um, with Derry City playing out from the back with being in that role it must have been very enjoyable for you rather than being the one in that sort of sitting role that you're just constantly defending you're getting on the ball you're starting attacks and really from it you've kind of transitioned into that role for from then really till till now you're still really in a bit deeper role rather than the one in Linfield where you're getting in behind and getting beyond yeah exactly I'm, I'm, st- I'm still sort of I'm not doing it as much now obviously but yeah as you said my, my game kind of changed when I went there but for the better obviously everyone kind of probably looks at it sometimes from the outside and sees maybe your goal returns not the same but obviously my, my game when I was at Derry compared to you know when I was scoring all the goals it was just a million miles away in terms of the performances it was you know sometimes a goal can mask a performance very easily um, yeah but with Derry it was just I think it was more so the added responsibility of playing in there you know going in and receiving the ball under pressure and, and you know linking the play with your with teammates and giving it to the you know giving it to the guys at the top end of the pitch and, and letting them do something with it was something I really enjoyed and I enjoyed the defensive side of it as well obviously um, and as you say, I've kind of since I've came back in the Irish League, I've kind of been playing. I wouldn't say a defensive midfield role, but again, a more kind of reserve role than I would previously have been done. You know, at Lumpy. Yeah, and you returned then the Irish League with Portadown, um, and I read that you were commuting from London. Was that correct when you were at the ports? Yeah. Um, so I'd, my uh, well, now my wife, girlfriend at the time, had taken them. Um, her, she was doing her, um, she'd done her F1 and 2, she's a doctor, and she took her training post in London. So um, I thought, look, I've been playing football for a while now, and uh, I think it would be a good wee, good wee change for us. So um, off we went. And then um, I hadn't really been playing for about six months. Um, I kind of got a bit disillusioned with it towards the end of Derry City when we kind of, after the first season, we kind of lost a lot of our top players. and and really struggled the second season. We had a very young team, and, and I think the standards did slip a wee bit. Uh, it kind of just frustrated me, to be honest. And then when I got when I got the chance to go away with Elaine, uh, I really enjoyed it. And then I wasn't really playing for about six months. And then um, I had got training with the team, actually. Um, so I was living kind of in Highbury, and I got training with the team just about a couple of miles up the road called Wingate and Finchley. I think they're in uh one of the northern premier leagues maybe like Ryman premier or something i'm not mm-hmm. sure but maybe one below the conference or maybe two but i've been training with them they actually had a northern irish manager a guy keith Rowland. so i think he got caps and stuff for northern ireland so um i was training away and i think he he wanted me to play a match on the saturday for them um as like a training match and then the phone went that weekend it was ronnie mcfall um <laughs> just said to me uh i think we poor down had lost darren murray at the time to Clifton Bowl maybe yeah. and uh, and uh, he just said look are you playing any uh, and if not I can fly you in at the weekends if you're interested uh, and to be honest it didn't take too much too much persuasion because I just missed it so much um, yeah. I hadn't been playing any competitive football and uh, it was a bit of a no brainer really and just thought you know I'm in a privileged position for someone to want to fly me back in and play football for them so it was it didn't take me long and uh 
Portadown at that time had kind of been having a mixed bag of a season. I think they had a lot of injuries. and it's, It was really just Ronnie McFall that persuaded me. I had a lot of time for Ronnie McFall, and obviously still do. It's, I love love playing under him. I had played under him in some of those under-23 um, Northern Ireland teams, um, and I really enjoyed it. And he was, he was just a great lad. He was a great man, great man manager, and... Uh, it was, it was a no-brainer for me. So, yeah, the arrangement was I kind of just flew in uh, after work on a Friday, um, stayed at home, and then, you know, played the match on the Saturday. But it was it was difficult for me, to be honest. Um, I, had, I was just training on my own during the week in the gym and, you know, trying to get up to speed. It was now on impossible for me, to be honest. And uh, I don't regret ever doing it, but my game was nowhere near where it kind of needed to be. But... I didn't actually do too badly. I scored a couple of good goals for them. You know, I remember scoring a scoring a big goal against to beat Linfield in the league two one um, at Shamrock Park and scoring a good goal in the Irish Cup um, to get us through. But I probably had the the lowest point in my career at Portadown losing to Lurgan Celtic in the quarter final the Irish Cup. It was just one of the worst days of my football career to be honest. Um, they beat us 3-2 yeah. after we were 2-0 down we came back and then gave away a last minute penalty that, and I think Ronnie actually left after that game which which was you know the worst way for, for a man of his stature and for what he'd done for that club to, to leave but, and that's probably one of the biggest regrets I've ever had is, is that one game of football yeah with that can I talk up maybe a bit ask you a question maybe about your mentality so you said it's one of the lowest points you ever had in football and Ronnie left and you left such a great manager for, for that club in particular and to leave like that it's 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 sad in a way even for someone who doesn't support the club but mentality wise when something like that happens how do you get over that as a player is it the boys are just have words with themselves you know let's lads we'll make it right here next game and this isn't acceptable or is there a bit of silence in the changing room, or how does? I just I'm curious, maybe the mentality side of trying to get over that. Yeah, I mean, for for the Ports at the time, we were in such a perilous position in the league as well. We kind of just had to, I think, just had to get on with it. Um, for me, I was kind of a bit of an outsider because I was just kind of coming in on a, on a Saturday and I wasn't really seeing what it was like around the club during the week. Um, but it was just I just got the impression that that team had kind of was in a bad way you know the dressing room was flat and a lot of players were carrying knocks and a lot of players were playing kind of half fit and just not no one was really doing themselves any justice and um you know i'm just thankful that they they got out of the mess that we were in towards the end of that that season i actually had the i don't think i played the last four or five games that year um i got redeployed at work and i've been working away a lot um uh, whenever Pat McGibbon came in, but I remember just the the, the quality that we actually had in that change room f- for that team for to be where we were was was just so difficult, and I think that's what frustrated a lot of the players. We had we had a top top team on paper, but it, it just losing became a very bad habit for us, and we just couldn't really shake it off. And I think I remember I think it was Carrick they beat was it towards the end of that season. It was almost like a relegation six pointer to secure the safety. So. Yeah, it was, it was a difficult year for me, to be honest. Yeah, there were some big names there, especially from your Linfield days. You know, I think Chris Casement was there, and Michael Galt, and was Garrett still there at that stage, and maybe Mark McAllister as well? 
Yeah, yeah, they were all there, and I think they they done really well the season before as well. But but as I said there, I think a lot of the, a lot of the issues around that season was just the injuries and suspensions. I think it was we seemed to be a really ill-disciplined team playing with ten men a lot of the time, and um, you know whenever we had everyone on the pitch fully fit, you know, in the likes of those Linfield games where we beat them and we'd we'd beat a couple of other big teams and beat Corey in I think in the in the Irish Cup um, last sixteen that year as well and. You know, there was there was no doubt of, of the quality that was there. Just it had just gotten a bit difficult, I think. And when you get in a rut, uh, and teams sense that, it's very difficult to get back out of. It, I, I think so too. You know, the mental game it, it just really destroys you. You know, morale as well, and and that side of things. But after your short term period at Portadown, the move to Crusaders happened. And how did that come around? And um, what was your thoughts really whenever the crews made contact? Yeah, um, so I think my first game actually for Portadown was against the Crews that, that year. I think they scored in like the 94th minute to beat us 1-0 down there. But um, no, and then I think Stephen Baxter might have actually phoned me about a week after that. And I think he kind of said, I didn't realise you were available and, you know, would you be interested in having a chat um, in a couple of weeks' time or whatever, and he left it at that. And then I kind of thought, you know, didn't really think anything of it. I just thought that I'll see how this goes and pour it down for a while. Um, and then, and, you know, he's true enough to his word. He, he called me up and just said, "Look, why don't you call around to see you after one of the after one you know one of the weekends at your home after your game, and then we can have a chat." And it just kind of went from there. He he just said, "Look, no matter what happens, if you stay in London." Well arranged to fly you back. If you you know come home, then all the better, or whatever. So um, it was a no-brainer for me. I was getting married the following year, so you know the the added income was a nice boost for us as well. So it was it was a no-brainer. It was never about anything other than, than football for me anyway. So um, once and Crusaders at that time were flying high. They'd won. I think that was the, the year they won the league for the second year in a row. So. For the best, you know, the best team in the country ring, you want you want you to fly home and play play for them, and it's, it was a no-brainer for me to be honest. You said that you were getting married the following year. Um, let's talk a little bit about your support system and the wife. How how vital is it to you about the missus supports you in terms of the football, or does she kind of let you just do whatever you need to do and come home, vent, whatever? Um, is that <laughs> is it important to have that there? Oh, big time! Yeah, you need uh, you need someone who's going to listen to all your excuses, like when you get home after a defeat. But um, no, I mean anyone will tell you like it's it can be very difficult. Probably, I'd imagine being married to the Irish League footballer, you know, it's it can just consume your whole life. Even though you're only training two nights a week and, and playing a match on a Saturday, it's just it's everything for some people. And especially when you play in it, you kind of live and breathe it. And uh, you know, to have someone there who, you know, when you fall, when you come back home, he's, I think he's just used to it by now. You know, if we if we've had a bad defeat or a, in a big game, it's kind of just give me a couple hours to to come around and then then we're good to go. But uh, as, as I've got older, I've, I've kind of just I just kind of leave the football at the ground. You know, once I once I pull out a sea view at five o'clock, that's kind of it's family time then for yeah. for for the foreseeable until until I'm back at it again. But um, yeah, I definitely say as I've got older, you kind of you mellow out a wee bit more and the defeats still hurt probably even more but you kind of just learn to park it and, and learn you know it's not very nice you know for the rest of your family if you're bringing that home with you every weekend yeah 
well, I mean, it, when you join one of the better teams in the league, you're you're sort of hoping, you know, when you do come home with something, you know, it's very rare, you know, it's maybe maybe one week in six or seven <laughs> right. rather than every week. <laughs> Question for you now: Whenever you whenever you join a new team, and this is something I've always been fascinated about, you know, the local game, fans are passionate, you know, fans are like, oh, I hate Linfield, I hate Glentor, and all this sort of stuff, but. You as a player, you know the lads you play against. You know you might not know them overly well, but you know them to have a chat with, whatever it may be. But when you go into a changing room, so when you go into a Crusaders changing room and there's a lot of lads there that you played against when you were at Linfield winning trophies and things like that, what's the atmosphere like when you, when you go into a changing room for the first time for a new club? I, it kind of is a bit, I wouldn't say frosty, but like, you know, you've been kicking lumps at each other for the previous, you know, five or six years and what in the last couple of years at Linfield it had got a really big rivalry to be honest um, initially we kind of always used to used to beat the crews well I remember beating them 8 eight, 1 or 2 maybe I remember um, that too it was horrible the fans <laughs> were, want to be reminded of but I remember we always kind of had the and then after a while we just couldn't beat them I think that's when they started to really become a force they they were just so physical and powerful and it really meant a lot to, to them to, to play Linfield at the time but no I remember walking in but everyone's professional enough and you know anyone who signs you realise they're there to, to improve the team and, and to help the team and obviously the likes of like Deggy Cadell Sean O'Neill Colin Coates they always make you feel really welcome and you have to earn their respect as well it's, you know that's part and parcel of it you have to go in and improve your worth and prove that you can add something to the team and to the dressing room and it always helps having a wee bit of needle in, in training as well. It's it's good for competition and keeps keeps everyone on their toes. So there was there was no issue. Obviously, I knew I knew a lot of the lads as well, and uh, didn't take me long to settle in. And the first European trip, I assumed you were on it. Did you have to sing? And if you did sing, what did you sing? Uh, I think I actually have got away with it. Maybe I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think I did sing. There was there was a few people caught at the airport and doing different tunes and another and a few, few people doing it on the flight and stuff on the way over but I think I was lucky enough actually I don't, I don't think uh, I don't think I ever got, got caught for it like I don't know if any of the lads have listened to this make, make, make me get up the next week of training but <laughs> no unless I maybe did it in one of the nights out uh, when we were away but I remember Michael Doherty signed the same year as me and he'd done a almost like a concert in Copenhagen I think he had a, a whole, I think he had a whole bar singing along with him at one stage he really <laughs> bought it <laughs> but uh, there's been a few clinkers over the years like uh, other sing songs to be honest oh yeah I can imagine you know you see the videos the odd time you know some of them I think about usually Sean O'Neill puts them up on Twitter I think it's Sean O'Neill he seems to put quite a lot of videos up on Twitter whenever it's something silly or something fun and um I, I always remember laughing at a couple of them like that that first season you know two leagues back to back the first season started the season unbelievably well you know it was 6-0 win against Palomino opening day I think we beat Linfield the first game at Seaview and then it really it ended in a massive disappointment without going into into too much detail mentality wise with the the expectation to win the league and being clear for a number of a load of games and all this sort of thing what was the at the end of the I've seen you know on the documentary the cameras go into the changing room and the changing room is very very quiet um after the Balamina defeat towards the end of the season her second last game right away was there a strong desire we fix this next season or was it just a massive disappointment at that stage uh obviously you know standing in the dressing room that day at Balamina was just heart-wrenching to be honest um it was, it was so bad it was so flat and 
Um, but in saying that, it's just the older you get, you kind of just there's just there's so many disappointments in football. You know, it's it's just one of the old cliches. But you know, that league wasn't won or lost that day at Balamina. You know, it yeah. was lost somewhere else along the way. That's just that's just the way football is. And uh, that season, I don't think anyone you know can deny that Lumford that they just went on an unbelievable run. And unfortunately for us, we kind of ran out of steam just as they were coming charging up behind us and uh, you know everyone always remembers the Balamina game because it yeah. you know, became a bit sort of farcical towards the end you know they beat us 3-0 or whatever but the damage had kind of been done in the, in the prior weeks and uh, for us it was you know the good thing about the cruise is the dressing room um, it, it's just it's got a lot of leaders and a lot of winners in it especially back you know back then when you know the likes of Kosey were still around it was it just kind of reset the next season when everyone came back for pre-season there was no there was no hangover or there was no sulking or it was just let's get back at it here and uh, you know try and put it right the following season and thankfully you know we managed to do that yeah was your brother Stephen at Linfield at the time that season yeah he was yeah yeah he, he kind of the worst thing about it was he kind of seemed to be scoring all the really vital goals for them in that <laughs> run. I remember him scoring one at Val de Mallard, you know, near the end of a game to, to steal the three points, and he scored I think you know a couple of big goals for the Irish Cup that year. But I kind of just compounded it for myself. But um, uh, yeah, it was never it wasn't easy. You know, remember I think we. We went to play Linfield in a kind of crunch tie towards the end of that season. And I remember getting injured in the first half, and they beat us one 0 um, and that was kind of the, probably the turning point for us. Then I don't think we ever got over that that season. Um, and as you say, it was just uh, it was a massive disappointment for us. And you know, those are those are the kind of things that stick to you. You know, no matter how much you win, it's always the. I think I've had three or four seconds of maybe lost the league. You know, on the last day, a couple of times now, and it's, it's not nice. It's just, but unfortunately, that's that's the way the league has to be be decided. Yeah, big time. Um, I think it's also what makes the league such a fun league to be a part of. You know, not maybe as as a player, it's heartbreaking. You know, as as a fan, if you're on that side that wins in the last game of the season, or if you're on that, you know, in that team that's challenging for third or fourth, and you're not expected to, there's a great sense of excitement about it. And what I've noticed in the last number of years there's different teams making cup finals that there are to win in the league and stuff like that. So it's, it's a very exciting league to be part of right now, in my opinion, anyway, maybe compared to, you know, maybe your time at Linfield where it was maybe a total domination for a number of years. Yeah, I completely agree. I was saying, saying to someone last year, you know, before um, COVID came around, it's probably been the most exciting league in a long, long time. There's just so many good teams now, so many good players, and so many good managers, it's all just kind of adding, adding up really, really nicely at the moment. Um, you know, I think the, the added media coverage and the advent of kind of social media is kind of pushing that even more. You can't really open up anything now without, you know, reading something about the Irish League, which can only be good good for the game. But yeah, I think COVID kind of came at the worst possible time for, for the league because at one point it kind of looked like it could be, you know, one winner from four, maybe five teams. Um, albeit Linfield had kind of pushed on along with Corian pre, pre-COVID. But um, as you say, the league's just going from strength to strength, which can only be good, can only be a good thing. And, you know, the more teams that kind of adapt a professional full-time approach can only be, again, better for the future as well. So it, it's a great time to be playing. And the Irish League, it's a great time to be following it and, and watching it. And it's, it's only going from strength to strength. 
big time. And it, it allows the fans, when there's that excitement there, when everyone's challenging for places, I think it was what Lauren in sixth, Crusaders in third, was it two points or four points or something like that before COVID, where you're going into the split where every game's almost like a cup final, you know, for that for that European spot or that third spot, second spot, you know, you're hoping Coleraine slip up and you can push for second and with everyone playing each other. That was going to bring a lot of fans, big gates, the clubs are in a better position financially, which only long-term helps the league, really. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's just nail on the head, really. It's just, um, there's so many big games now, whereas previously you maybe got, you know, you got your Linfield and, and your Glenthorne or whatever, and now it just seems that every week, you know, was looking at our fixtures there um, for this up- upcoming season, and you're just looking down, thinking just big games everywhere, big, massive Big crowds obviously would be missing out on this year, but if, if it had been, you know, a normal year, you'd be looking at every week being a big, massive game with with a big crowd and you know a lot at stake every week. Whereas you know maybe ten years ago you probably had, you know, four games a season where where you got a big crowd and and the rest was kind of ambling along. You know, from from where the league was to where it is now, it's the attendances and everything and the standard. It's just getting better and better and. Um, can only be a good thing, especially you know you mentioned there the additional iron and Glenthorne obviously getting a bit of investment and and kicking on. It's it's all just building really well. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And it's 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 just exciting as a fan. You know, every game is you're going to summer. Going, we need three points here. This is a big one. This is a big one. And I think that's when you get a league like that. I think that's just what brings fans in the gate and it makes it super competitive um, and super fun as well to be part of. But just to reverse a little tiny bit, um, we'll, we'll get on to a couple more quick topics I want to t- touch before before I keep you all night. But um, Balamino away the following season, you, you scored that game, Cruz won the league, massive day out for us. What was it like for you as a player? <laughs> uh, it was just, it was unbelievable to be honest. That's probably if I could go back just one day uh, in my football career, there have been obviously many many highs but that that one day was just quality from from start to finish to be honest um i remember meeting up and everyone was just you could just tell everyone was buzzing for the game but there was a wee bit of nervousness there in the background but just fate would have it that we end up playing balamina away and i think just the way korean were playing that year i remember we played korean on a tuesday night that split I think it was maybe the first game after the split yeah. uh, and the kickoff was quarter eight and um, I was off work that day and I remember just <laughs> text Sean Ward at about one o'clock being like this is a really long day my head's gone here I was just so nervous because <laughs> it was just so tight that year like whoever won that game was probably going to win the league and uh, yeah. me and we used to always go to Costa before the games just for a quick coffee before we went to see you and uh, I remember meeting them that day at like four o'clock just because we were both in the house at such a loose end I just couldn't stop thinking about the game I was just getting so nervous like, and Sean's probably one of the most experienced players I've ever played with I was, yeah. was in the same boat but that's how that's how that's how nervy that that league running kind of was and then obviously we drew that game and then as you say Ball I mean it was it was a bit surreal driving up the road everyone was kind of buzzing and then once the match started I always remember clearly the first half we actually battered Balamina. We missed, and uh, you're kind of thinking, no, please, not, not like not, not today. And I think the way Corey and I think if they had maybe scored, it would add you know a lot more pressure to us because 
you know, we were just relying on the kind of crowd noises, and then at half time we we kind of just regrouped and said, "Right, boys, this match is here for us." And then obviously we go out and concede within about ten minutes, <laughs> and uh, you're thinking, "Here we go." But I never thought we're going to throw the league away here again. But I think if Corian had a scored when it was one 0 to Balamina, I think we were in big trouble. Corian, obviously, I think if they had got a goal when Balamina took the lead, then you know we would have had serious questions asked, asked of us. But you know, thankfully, there was still a good bit of time left, and um, just I think it was a game that was made for Kush that they, you know, always left it in the way he plays. We just kind of needed a bit of a bit of something off the cuff, and um, you know, he, he set up the first, and then um, managed to you know rifle in the second, and just the joy that day was. I think it was just more a relief than anything. I always remember it was just it wasn't really happiness, it was just sheer relief that we we hadn't thrown over away again and we we we'd actually got over the line because Corian pushed us right right to the very last minute that year and yeah. you know, they were they were riding on the crest of a wave really. They just seemed to I remember them being two 0 down to the blues post split that year at half time. Uh, and I remember again, you know, this is us now. If we just keep going the way we're going, we'll have this wrapped up in the next game or two, you know, post split. And then uh, they just kept, they came back that day, I think. And that was Darren McCauley Pum, Pum Day, I think. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then obviously, um, you know, it was so they were so difficult to beat that year. But we'd managed to do it. And it was the relief that day. And then obviously we, we had a great couple of days. Days party and you know <laughs> that night and following a couple of days as well. Yeah, I mean, it's for me. It almost felt like as much as you wanted to win the league every year, you to me it sort of felt you right the wrong of the previous season, if you know what I mean. Because it was one of those ones you felt a bit frustrated we didn't win it the year before, and then you to go on and win it back. It, to me, it showed anyway a bit of the mentality, the drive, the determination, and stuff like that. Especially when you're pushed to the wire, you know it's it's difficult to think, you know, when that when there's a club and or a team that's just pushing you all the way. Was I think they only lost once that year, you know, a bit like Liverpool the other year when they only lost once yeah. and finished second. Yeah, yeah, that was exactly right. They um they just never went away that season. We, you know, every time you know we we seemed to to get away from them, they just clawed us back, and you know we were I think we were three three nil or three one up against them that year as well down there and. They came back to three all, and it was just they under Oren Kearney, you know, their any team by Oren Kearney managing just seems to success just seems to follow them, and you know, good teams seem to, you know, where he goes, he's, there just seems to be a team that just seems incredibly difficult to beat, and who want to just you know do so well for him, and uh, it was no different that year, and um, they're a young team and. They were so so difficult to shake off, and but thankfully, to be fair, I think there was a lot of. I wouldn't say it was, you know, resentment towards a cruise winner. I think every every person and their dog wanted Corey and the one that he got you, unless you were a cruise fan. Um, but you know, thankfully for us, we got it done, and everyone's saying, oh, we we pipped Corey into the, the lane. We might have done that points wise, but you know, I think we scored over a hundred goals that year. Yeah. Um, you know, we had over ninety points maybe as well, and. The team we had that year was just flying. It was absolutely privileged to be a part of it. I think between Gavin, Paul Heatley, and, and Jordan Owens, I think they'd some crazy stat statistic about the number of goals and assists they all had. And for us, it was really just you know behind them. It was really just about getting them all up and in the final third, and letting yeah. them do the rest. They were they were serious, serious, you know, formidable front three. 
Yeah, big time. And then Gavin obviously got the move away that summer. You know, it came very, very late um, the following year in the transfer window anyway, when he eventually did get the move. I, heard, I think he was at the airport or something along those lines and he got the call. You know, he was, yes, he yeah, was off to Oxford. I picked him up. I actually picked him up. I was living quite close to him back then and uh, picked him up and we were driving to the city airport. And when I lifted him, I remember him saying, oh, I'm not actually, I don't know if I'm going here. And I was like, well, well why are you getting do you need a lift or not and he said no let's go and we got to the airport and I think it became clear like he was on the verge of going to Oxford very quickly and I think he, he did go on the trip to be fair to him but he obviously he didn't cut out or anything and uh, he, he, if anyone deserved a move it was Gavin he's just a phenomenal talent and uh, some of the stuff he'd done that year to some of the defenders was just ridiculous really he just you just knew, you know, if he was on it, then we were going to win. Basically, that's how good he was that year. He just if Gavin played well, then then we had a chance. That was that was the way it was that year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. He was just incredible. It's one of those ones where, a little bit selfishly, you're saying, "I wish he wouldn't leave because we're going to miss him." But at the same time, you're like, "Go for it, kid. You know, go across the water, go test yourself, go on to bigger and better things, and make a full time career out of it." You know, it's it's one of those double edged swords because you're a little bit loyal to wanting your own team to be successful too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you know everyone's got to see him go just from a selfish point of view. But, you know, yeah, it was clear that a, a player of his talent was, was gonna was destined for things beyond Crusaders and the Irish League. And you look from from where he's from where he was to where he is now, and it's just phenomenal, really. He's, he's just fully deserving of everything he's he's getting. And uh, obviously, as you say, from a selfish point of view, we'd have loved to kept them with Crusaders and, and and played alongside him, but it was never going to happen I think after that year he had you know if it wasn't Oxford it would have been someone else because he was was that good yeah yeah I absolutely agree and the following season my favourite day of the year albeit you know out of the sort of number of cup finals I've went to um, we've lost more than we've won that I've had the privilege of of watching anyway but for me I, I don't think you can ever beat Irish Cup final day it's for me it's the best day in the calendar you know alongside Boxing Day but the following season wasn't the best league defence and I think given sort of the positioning in the league table there was a lot of rotation and the big focus really was going on to win the Irish Cup and for you as, as a player you know that run to the final was was amazing you know Colry and Linfield, Glen Torren and and really when you got to when we got to the final it was like we're not here and it's not just Balna Mallard we deserve to be here you know was that was that cup run a bit of a proven point to the rest of the league, to yourselves, about how good this squad really is? Because maybe the league form and where we were in the league didn't really prove that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our league form had just been so patchy that year. And then I think the manager might have even openly said it. I think all our eggs were firmly in the Irish Cup basket from a very early stage. You know, I think once it got to the kind of quarterfinal stage, um, we were kind of basically just playing an Irish Cup team and then making sure that that team was fit and available again, you know, by the time the next round came around, um, because we were a lot of sort of suspension guys near bookings and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, obviously the Irish Cup being a passage into Europe as well. Um, but as you said, we kind of beat anyone worth beating on the road, on the road to that, to that Irish Cup. And everyone said, you know, I'll ball them out. It was a, it was going to be a, an easy sort of free one on the final, but we'd kind of earned the right, 
to play a, a team who who wasn't as good as the top three or four teams because we'd beaten them all on the on the run to to the final and um, you know Irish Cup as you say it's a, it's a it's a brilliant day it's by far and away the best day to be involved in you know the whole just the suits and the camaraderie and the, uh, and you know we're playing at Windsor Park in front of a good, good crowd and you know obviously I've only I've played in four and managed to, to win them all so when you win it just makes it even sweeter and uh, no again. Um, even just watching that cup final over lockdown, it's, it's they're incredibly difficult to watch when you're not involved because you just you just really want to be there. It's it's by far and away the, the best day in the, of the calendar year for footballers. Yeah, totally agree. And the, the whole suits thing it always gives me a laugh because I'm I'm pretty friendly with Frankie, and every time there's a there's a cup final, you no know, Frankie's always on. I got a new suit. I'm getting a new suit. <laughs> you know, he loves the whole he loves the whole suit thing. I always always gives me a little bit of a chuckle. But um, yeah. that cup final was especially important for us. You know, you get the you get the draw on the Pharaohs. It's probably a draw. As a fan, it's a draw I kind of want. I want an easier winnable tie first, you know, to get through, to get the money. And then I'm like, give me a big boy. And yeah. th- through that, it came Wolves. Um, when Wolves came through, number one, I want to know your reaction. Was it happy days? We've got a big team. Or was it, oh, no. Or Just talk me through your uh... mindset. No, it was just pure excitement. I think obviously we'd found out. I think they drew the team. We drew Pharaohs, and we kind of knew when we drew them. If we beat them, then we'd get Wolves. So it was just, uh, it was amazing. It was just a, you know, it was just pure raw excitement because, especially because Wolves had just came up the year before, and you know they were just being bandied as like the, the greatest team ever to be promoted. You know, or the you know the first season after being promoted is just the greatest team you know to ever come up from the championship. And I probably think they are. They are. Um, you know, for what they've done, but uh, ah, it was amazing. And then it just all hands quickly turned to the to, to beating this fairway, that fairway team. And uh, you know, thankfully, over two legs, we did. I remember beating them at home two 0 and then yeah. uh, we played actually well that night. And we probably, I know I scored the second, but we probably should have maybe been a wee bit more comfortable and, and got more. Um, but you're always nervous going over there because um, I remember the day of the game, uh, just even the fairways in general, it's a difficult place to go. The accommodation is not great and there's not very much to do and it can be a wee bit you know, tiresome and stuff sitting around the hotel. And I remember the day of the game, the fog was unbelievably bad. Like you could barely, you could barely see across the pitch. I don't know if anyone was watching like a stream or anything, but I don't even think you'd have been able to see, see the players. And then thankfully like, about two minutes into that game, I think they went to pass it back to the keeper and and overhead it, and the keepers actually had to run back and claw, claw it off the line. So we got an indirect free kick, and Big Jordy put it away, and that kind of eased our nerves. But to be fair, we got it tight that night. I remember having it back to the wall for a good sort of last thirty minutes. But once we got that away goal, we kind of knew what the prize was going to be at the yeah. you know at the other end, and thankfully we saw it out. And then the trip home, boys were just you know absolutely buzzing. And, it's just an amazing couple of weeks for us, to be honest. Yeah, what an incentive, you know. We go away in Europe, and you know you're a, a, against a team that you you're you're you can beat. Because some of the draws in Europe are horrible. You know, you get a Copenhagen away, and you're all no. But you know, you get um you get a tie like that that's winnable, and then you go right. The prize is Wolves. What what an incentive to play. And talk to me about Molyneux. You know what was what was it like walking in walking in there as an away player in a competitive match you know it's not like you're just going across for a friendly this was a competitive match with a full house 
Yeah, it was it was amazing. It was it was a bit surreal because normally with Europe you're used to kind of fly into the far corners of like Eastern Europe and flights normally take four and five hours, but we kind of just it was a wee jolt over. It was, it was like 40, 40 minutes or whatever, and then uh, get to the hotel that day, and and then we went and trained obviously at the pitch the night before, and I remember just living around thinking this is just epic. Like I was I was actually a lot a bit underwhelmed by the dressing room. I remember looking in. Somebody opened the Wolves dressing rooms. We'd been walking in. It looked amazing. You know, it was all big banners and the floor was all pictures of everything. And it looked amazing. I thought, gosh, this is going to be class. And I think they've deliberately done it. But when you get into the away dressing room, it was just like a standard Irish League dressing room. And they kind of designed it that like you can't really see everyone at the same time. You know, <laughs> so the manager, if he's ever having to talk, that's kind of there's a big pillar right in the middle so you can't really you know it's i think they've actually done it on purpose so that to make it difficult for away teams but um i remember being a bit on the by change rooms but then when we walked out onto the onto the pitch it was just unbelievable surreal you know training that night and i remember going out of room with billy joe and we were just sitting in our in our room that night and <laughs> we were just two nervous wrecks really it was just it was just a bit of the unknown because we were we were watching videos and you know, normally when we do a bit of analysis, it's just Irish League games, and you kind of think, you know, I played against him, I know what he does, or I know what they'll try and do, or who they'll target, or you know, where should we be targeting? And then you're watching, we we're watching highlights of them and trying to do analysis, and they're playing like I think they'd beaten Arsenal three 0 the yeah. day end of that last season, and they'd beaten United in the FA Cup, and you're just sitting there going, this is a whole, this is a whole different level. But in saying that, you can't, you can't really be. You can't stand back and admire them because if that's the case, we just get embarrassed. You're you're there as a footballer, and that's what you. At the end of the day, they're they're only human beings, <laughs> is what what you have to remember. And uh, I remember sitting in the room that night and just anxiety about the unknown. You're kind of thinking the worst things, thoughts come into your head. We were kind of saying, you know, what happens if someone gets sent off in the first ten minutes, or you know, what happens if we lose a goal in the first you know, thirty seconds, and all sorts of things because your head. But once you get out there and the match kicks off that all kind of just evaporates very quickly yeah I remember a story uh, Mark Dixon told me a number of years ago whenever Mickey Collins played for the Crews for six months he, they were, Mark picked them up they were driving they were parking down before the game and Stephen Garrett was at Newry at the time and he was walking in the gate and as they are driving down Collins put the window down and shouted out it was like um, Garrett I'm going to get you today or something you know and it just made me <laughs> laugh because it's so Irish league <laughs> but I was more so thinking what's it like at Wolves you're going out to play Europa League. You're not. You're not obviously pulling up to the the ground and a couple of car, couple of car loads. You know, <laughs> but what's yeah. what's it like? Do you turn up at you turn up in the coach. You get off. You, is there a lunch provided at the stadium all day? How did it all work before the the first leg? It's it's kind of a long day. You're you just wake up around the hotel and normally just your breakfast and then. Uh, you get a bit of downtime, and then obviously the preparation kind of fully kicks off. We normally do a bit of analysis in the morning, and um, the manager I think named the team early that time. But I think that was the right thing to do because a lot of boys were just so uh, you know, I'm a playing, I'm a not, or what teams he playing. And once the team was named, then we were kind of you know all set, and just went back to our hotel room, and we were just you know typical footballers, just playing cards and. T- talking absolute nonsense to be honest and, uh, <laughs> just looking forward to the night and then uh, you're kind of just the longer the day goes on the more you just want to actually get to the ground but that was probably the most nerve-wracking part was you know getting our dinner and then getting on the bus and driving towards the ground and 
you know, normally the Irish League, you, you don't see any fans until you actually come out, you know, further warm up or until you're actually kicking off a game. Whereas then there was just roves of fans everywhere when we were driving towards the ground, and I'm thinking, God, this is this is going to be a serious crowd here, and you know, we're we're actually playing wolves like in the Europa League, and but um, the more you think about it, the more you kind of tend to just cause yourself your own anxieties and. Uh, once we got the ground, as I said, and you and you warm up, you you don't really pay any attention to to much of that, and you're just kind of wanting to do well, really, just yeah. wanting to you know, do well for your teammates, do well for the club, and, and make your family proud. Well, I mean that that game especially, we were excellent. You know, it's not very often you lose a game of football and went lads well played. That was brilliant, and we were incredibly well filled. <laughs> Everyone gave a hundred percent. Probably a bit. We're probably kicking ourselves a little bit that we left, you know, two down, <laughs> you know, because the, the the manner the the performance. Um, did was yeah. there anything different done, you know, by by Stephen by the team tactically, even got into this one, or was it just lads? Let's just go for it. Let's work hard. Was there anything sort of different planned? Uh, I think we just were a bit realistic in terms of we knew if we committed them forward, then we were just going to get picked apart. So it just. I think we played a three, three, five, two maybe that night, um, and just we just kind of let them have the ball in, the, in their own half, and then once they got you know closer towards ours, we just tried to sort of nullify the space and and play to our own strengths and make it difficult for them, and you know it had worked worked really well for us. Obviously, they got a decent first goal um, through Jota, and then um, you're kind of thinking during the match, you just you always sort of just take it in fifteen minutes and. Try and get to the first 15, nil nil, and then the next, and the next. And when Jota scored, I think it was maybe sort of 10, 15 minutes left in that first half, and you're thinking, right, just there's no more goals here, and let's get in at half time. And I think when we got in at half time, we'd seen what they had to offer. You know, they'd thrown everything at us for 45 minutes, and we got used to the crowd and the atmosphere. And uh, second half, we just kind of said, right, same again, lads, let's, let's get And to be honest, it was gutting, you know, the second goal going in, because if we had got them back at 1 0, you know, one one nil is a lot different from two nil. You know, yeah. especially uh, with the way we nicked the first goal at home, it would have been you know, doubly interesting. But um, those like that performance was it was just again going over in your head. You're thinking this is going to be five or six. Well, we, I was actually saying thinking five or six wouldn't actually be bad because um, the reasons are that good. Like they'd be yeah. putting Premier League teams this over. Yeah. And uh, you know, but no, we we done rightly and. It was a incredible sort of couple of days to be honest, and uh, enjoyed. It's just surreal. Um, loved every second of it, and the more the game went on, it's, it's the more you seemed to enjoy it. You know, we were just defending back to the wall, but we were really kind of enjoying it. Really, it was <laughs> the more they threw at us, the more we seemed to kind of feed off it. And uh, you know, the team that night was just unbelievable. Like uh, something. That, you kind of have a soft spot for them now. Whenever you see them playing on TV, you know you actually can visualise being there just from from past experiences. And you know I kind of always do look out for their scores and look out for their team lineup and see how they're playing. To be honest. Yeah, it's funny. Like Frankie, I, I got married just shortly after the Wolves game, and Frankie sent me a Wolves shirt as a wedding present that he got over there, which I always thought was quite funny. You always, <laughs> and you always do. You always have a little sort of go. Wonder how Wolves done the day, but just to sort of say what Crusaders had, had done like superbly well was Nuno is very fond small squads he doesn't change his team too much and it was really it was the full wills team you know it wasn't like he he, um, he rested half the half the boys you know Neves played Moutinho played 
And in terms of the boys you played against, was there a particular player out of all of them that stuck out the most when you played against them? Um, I think midfield ways, like Matinho was just unbelievable. I think Neves kind of realised that like we were just going to sit in there the whole night, and he wasn't really going to, you know, he was he was spraying the balls, you know, left and right, but he wasn't really overexerting himself. I got the impression, but Matinho was just a class act. Like you you look at him, he's probably thirty five now, thirty six, and you're thinking he's not very mobile, but just trying to get within ten yards of him, now on impossible. Every time you you tried to press him, he, the ball was you know round the corner. Just his intelligence was probably what struck me the most. You know, he just knew where you were all the time. And he just had so much space, and um, he, everything was just one two touch with him. And and he was just he was a class act. But I think the best player, I think everyone will say it was was Jimenez. And the he came on that night. And we all knew, and they just upped the gear straight away when he came on. But at Seaview. It's, he was just ridiculous. His finishing, the yeah. first, I think when we scored, I think the first goal was that he had his back to goal, and you're thinking that's that's where you want him, and then like two seconds later it was in the back of the net. He just swiveled, um, but he he was a, he was a quality class class act. Yeah, I was, when I was talking to Howard Beverland on a on a different podcast, I was sort of joking around with him and saying Sean O'Neill has a bit of a who's who that scored past him in terms of Danny Murphy and <laughs> and Jimenez and was it Rooney in that Irish League select game and stuff. You know, it's quite yeah. an impressive list uh-huh. to, be, to be perfectly uh-huh. honest. But um, where where does this tie rank in terms of your favourite career moments? And one final question on on the on the Wolves thing was, did you get anybody's shirt when you were over there? Um. Sure, sure. Wise, yeah. I, I didn't actually get any on the away leg because I think I was just I was so tired at the end. And maybe just I think they maybe slipped by me. You know, um, I'm not a, I'm not a massive shirt collector over the years. Anyway, I've got maybe one or I've got one from every club I've been at kind of thing. But I'm not a a hoarder or anything like that. But uh, in the home leg, I made sure I got Matinos. I think I said to him about ten minutes before the game game was finished. Um, could have it, but he was a complete gentleman. Like, and I have it, so I'm, I'm going to get it framed and stuff as well. So, yeah. nice memory. But in terms of where that game ranks, probably, probably up there. Like, it's, I would say, for one kind of experience, it was, it was just probably the best. It, it just, it was a great kind of four or five weeks of my life. I, I think it was my thirtieth birthday, and my wife was pregnant. We found out kind of around that week, mm-hmm. um, and then I was going to play Wolves the week after. So everything, the stars just seemed to align for me that. That month um, in July, and uh, I was just uh, the whole experience and the trip was just phenomenal. And I think because we actually played quite well and didn't do ourselves, you know, a massive injustice or anything, we just kind of done ourselves proud, which is all we kind of wanted to achieve. But it, in saying that, the away leg was special, but I actually thought the home leg was even probably better just from a perspective of you know having them at Seaview yeah. uh, the crowd that night was was huge um, I had you know a couple of family members watching who you know had never really seen me play and stuff and uh, you know some of my uncles and stuff so it's just it was amazing and <laughs> whenever we took the lead I remember chatting to Billy Billy and Sean Ward after it and it was just literally like the happiest moment <laughs> of our lives like it was just some of the boys were close to tears <laughs> I think it was just so happy just couldn't believe that we were like at that point I was thinking we could actually do this like yeah. <laughs> we, we could get another, get another one here and end up going through and then you know two minutes later I think we conceded two <laughs> um, you know they, they scored two quick fair goals before half time but 
Uh, when that ball hit the back of the net, I'm, I think he's still claiming it. That goal, yeah. like, <laughs> um, but uh, no, it was just it was a bit surreal to be honest. And uh, you know, you can't take that away from anyone now. We've, yeah. we've got that on our, on our record. <laughs> yeah, big time. You know, it's funny even leading up to this game, and I was like, I'm going to check out the Wolves fans podcast and all this, and I'm listening in, and they're talking about it. We're going to Crusaders and. With the worry about Jordan Owens and Paul Heatley, you know, and they're like, do we know anything about them? And the other guy, and they're on there going, we don't know much about them. And um, it was it was quite funny, just sort of from from listening to their perspective of coming over, being like, we need to win this. I mean, yeah. this is this is important. And then they're like, I'm glad the first game's at home and all this sort of thing. You know, we don't want to go over there, you know, for the first game, maybe concede and the nerves kick in. <laughs> it was just really really funny. You know, listening yeah. to it from their sort of perspective, and certainly it's one of one of my fondest memories as a fan of the club as well. But moving on from that, this it started the season. The season didn't end particularly well with COVID disrupting it. How did you get over COVID? You know, your mentality, the mindset, keeping yourself busy, the disappointment, everything that sort of comes alongside COVID. Yeah, it was, it was just it was a real difficult um, time, obviously for everyone, but. I think football wise, first of all, whenever we broke up after the Institute game, uh, I think we were one of the last games to get called off. We were meant to play the Glens, I think, and got called off on the Friday. And at that point, you're thinking, right, we'll play them again, you know, a couple of weeks' time and it'll all be okay. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we're literally are about to kick off the season now, four days' time or three days' yeah. time. And that's, that shows you just how mad it, it, it quickly got. Um, but from my own perspective, football ways, I, because I kind of work in, work in the hospital and stuff, I was kind of, all my attention kind of went towards that. And it wasn't that I was, you know, furloughed and sitting around the house and had nothing to do. I was working the whole way through it. And then my, my wife actually, we had our first baby in January. So we, you know, we had a wee bundle of joy through it all, really. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a difficult time for her, obviously, you know, being, a, being locked down. Um, with a newborn and having, not really having very many places to go and socialise and meet all our, you know, mums and, and whatnot. It's difficult, but um, it's just about being getting getting through it and you know adapting to the new normal really. But all the social distancing and face masks and precautions and yeah, I just uh, I have to admit, you know, since football started back up, um, it's been difficult in terms of the you know getting into our kit at home and having to drive the games and not being able to shower and it, it just kind of doesn't feel like a real match um, at the minute for some reason it's just it's just taking a lot of getting used to there's something kind of nice about turning up in your tracksuit and you know socializing for an hour or two before you go over to changing rooms and you know playing your your pool and table tennis and having a coffee and then going over and having a bit of you know banter in the changing room and getting the music on and stuff and that's all it's kind of out the window now we're kind of turning up with our kit underneath our, our tracksuit and yeah. throwing on our boots and going straight out to warm up. So it'll take a bit of getting used to. Yeah. But in saying that, you know, you're you're obviously great. We're obviously, you know, privileged and, and very grateful to be um still being allowed to play it, uh, allowed to play football and that's probably what's what's keeping, you know, me going, speaking to some of the other lads as well. It's will be we could be in a very, you know, worse situation, you know, especially the news today where you know, it's basically only going to be Irish League. It looks like it's going to be allowed to go ahead in terms of football in the country. So, to be able to, you know, call ourselves um, Irish League footballers and be allowed to play during all this is is something that we're grateful for, and you know, certainly won't be taking it for granted. 
Yeah, big time. And even as a as a, as a supporter, you know, you're just praying that the the doors are open for fans, especially the Irish League in general. It's not like the Premier League in England where you the TV money and all this, and it could keep going for probably a number of years before it really gets really too affected by crowds. The Irish League really depends upon it for survival. So, you know, for for us as fans, it's it's really important for us to try and get in as as quickly as possible and get back at it. You know, um. Couple of quick fire Q and A questions. I felt like I've kept you all yeah. night, so I'm gonna fire some quick fire stuff yeah. at you and see see yeah. what see the answers. Your hardest opponent or the toughest player you've ever had to play against so far in your career? Uh, toughest player uh, ever played against, um, probably Tony Chris. Where was that? Was that Milk Cup? So Tony was uh, Northern Ireland under twenty one international that night. Um, I think he was maybe making his debut for the under twenty ones that time, and uh, serious talent. <laughs> He's just, um, he was unbelievable. I remember, I remember kind of dragging him. He was playing like a number ten role, and I remember like dragging him down for a foul about thirty five yards out, thinking that's not bad there. I've you know, far enough away from goal, and he just bent it top corner <laughs> for about thirty five yards. <laughs> kind of learned my lesson then but no he was, he was a class act have you ever seen his documentary on amazon no but i've heard it's good it's on my to-do list to be honest yeah, it, it's really good I, the thing i find fascinating fascinating about him is regardless of whatever match it is he goes in and cleans his boots right after and there's a very famous photo yeah. when germany won the world cup and he's the only one not in it and he's over sitting by himself taking his boots <laughs> off to go in to clean them <laughs> i just always find that funny <laughs> Really, really unique, uh, okay, unique right. individual. Um, yeah. Let's see, next one for you. Let's go with, is it a goal to play in the same team as your brother before you maybe you both wrap it up at some stage? Yeah, I get this all the time. But uh, obviously, I would love it to happen. But in practical practical terms, unless crews want to get rid of me in the next six months stay a year <laughs> uh i can't see it happening um you know obviously we're not getting any younger and i think it's his birthday today actually he's maybe 34 today so i don't know how much longer he's, he's got left in the legs but he's, <laughs> playing, he's playing probably better than he's ever played um you know the last couple of years so he's in good shape so no it'd be nice it'd be nice for the two of us to play together but again you know he lives in Navavari, i live in belfast and finding a you know persuading one or the other to go to each of our own clubs is really a difficult task now to be honest yeah big time what about any plans to stay in the game once you stop playing any coaching aspirations yeah um i done my um b license there um over the summer so and um, that's the first kind of serious qualification i've done in terms of coaching and uh, i really enjoyed the week to be honest um it's, uh, I love football, like obviously, every, I love everything about football, I love watching it, love talking about it, love reading about it, and I love playing it, so I'm pretty sure I'd enjoy either coaching or managing as well, uh, I really like the sort of psychological side of it as well, and what makes a player tick and getting the best out of different players and teammates and stuff, so definitely I would love to, to stay in the game and just, you know, ha- having your, having the sort of the banter every Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday as well. You know, I think if I stop playing that's probably one of the things I'd, I'd miss the most is the friendships and the and the, you know, the chats and you know, our dressing room. It's a lot of time you turn up on a Tuesday and Thursday and you're just laughing from, from start to finish. Some of the characters in the changing rooms 
so 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 funny it just it really keeps you young it keeps you motivated it's it's it's, it's top notch to be honest well you've mentioned a couple of characters in the change room so i have to ask is there is there a if, if we were to maybe when we we're kids is there a class clown is there always someone that's that's leading the pack in terms of the messing around and stuff um not so much messing around but like sean of is one of the funniest men i think i've ever met <laughs> in my life uh just like larger life character like he just inspires people around him like it's some of the banter he has just top notch he's so funny and i think he's so underrated in the dressing room sean as well like it's you know his or motivational skills are just second to none he's a real he's a real shining light in the dressing room to be honest but i would say he's he's up there for for carry on like he's always he's always up to something like <laughs> In terms of um, young players in the Irish League, there's been, you know, Gavin went white, went across, Bobby Burns has went across, he's obviously came back, Mark Sykes and stuff like that. In the last number of years, there seems to be a little bit more younger talent making the move across to England, getting their chance. Why do you think that is? Is it the coaching's improved? You know, we talked about it earlier with the League of Ireland the, compared to maybe when you went to Derry City and the Irish League, maybe back then was a lot more physical and the league's starting to change slowly and for the better, probably in terms of the tactics and the and the playing styles and things like that do you think that's helping the younger players establish themselves and maybe get moves across the water yeah i do i, I think the coaching has has improved a lot um but i also think that you know the managers in the league have adapted as well you know there's a nice blend now of kind of young up and coming new coaches with fresh ideas and then the likes of your more elder statesmen and, and david jeffrey and stephen baxter and the likes of that so it's a good blend and they've had to adapt their They've had to adapt their tactics over time, and um, in terms of young players in Northern Ireland, I don't think it's ever been a question of, you know, Northern Ireland producing talent. It's more so getting that opportunity, and you know the way things are set up for 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 young players now to, you know, the benefit of of coming into the Irish League at a young age and getting, you know, a hundred hundred and fifty games under your belt at a senior level before you go over there, as opposed to you know going over and playing in academies. It's it's night and day. You know the players that go across. That we've seen do well that go across when they're you know they're 18 19 20 and they've played 100 games and they've got the life skills and you know they know what they want from the game as opposed to going across as a you know a 14 15 16 year old where you know you're probably homesick you've you've been uprooted you, you know you don't really have any family over there with you and you know you're let go at 18 and, and where do you go from there um so as you said obviously the, the platform it's always been there and it's more so now that people are getting to, to showcase that a bit more and there's and clubs in England, you know the way agents work now, and I think a lot of them are tapping into the Irish League and realizing that you know you can unearth you know gems, and there can be players that can go and play um, for Northern Ireland and and play in the Championship and beyond. So um, it's a hotbed of talent, and long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely agree. So a couple of um, quick preference ones, can I? So Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. <laughs> All day. Uh, I'm just a messy man, like I always have been. Um, I'm an Arsenal fan, but that doesn't really doesn't really sway it towards either. But um, no, I just I just love watching Messi. He's just ridiculous talent, and obviously Ronaldo. You know, there's not much between between them, but for me, it's just it's just Messi's technique, skill, his passing, and his goals, just unbelievable to watch. Yeah. Pep or Klopp? Klopp. Klopp for me. Uh, I'm probably an anti-Pep 
kind of player manager. <laughs> um, I just I just get a bit kind of scunnered by all that. I know it's nice and naive, but I don't really enjoy watching the keep ball for the sake of kind of keeping it. Whereas I'm just a massive fan of Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool. Just love watching them. Love love what they're about. Just love love his whole mantra and all the vibes he gives off. He just he looks like he's. You only have to look at the players to to understand, you know, how well respected and how much they love him there. And uh, I would say I'm a club man over over Pep for sure. Yeah, you just mentioned you're an Arsenal fan, so I think I might know the answer to this one, but I'm not sure. Vieira or Roy Keane? <laughs> I have to go with Big Pat there. <laughs> um, he uh, no, he was he was like one of my heroes growing up. Uh, him and Dennis Bergkamp, like, but. Uh, I love uh, to, to be fair. I, I, I love Roy Keane as well, especially now since he started doing the punditry as well. But um, no, growing up, I, I always uh, it was always Arsenal United rivalry, and yeah. and, and I love Patrick Vieira. Like he was he was top drawer. Have you a prediction for Arsenal this season? Care to predict where they <laughs> might end up? I know that's, a, that's a big one because it's, uh, it's so early still. Uh, <laughs> it sounds defeatist, but I'd probably take top four now. I think that's the top four in a cup run. That's probably the best, best we can hope for these days, to be honest. I, I think if you got top four, you'd be doing very, very well, considering the expenditure of some of the clubs in and around you, to be honest. I think I think top four, I, I actually had Spurs and Arsenal in my top four with United and Chelsea dropping out, my predictions. So, um, I hope I'm right around uh, really sitting here with egg on my face. Actually, yeah. <laughs> and final question for you. Do you have a favourite goal of your career? That's a big one. <laughs> Mm, uh, I probably do. Um, favorite goal? Uh, probably the best goal scored was uh, in the Europa League for the Blues away to Faroe Islands. I think it was I crossed in maybe and got headed clear and I kind of took it in the chest and Cruyff turned and then had it in the top corner with my left foot. Um, so that's probably up there, yeah. That's probably my that's probably the fav- my favorite favorite goal in terms of importance of the Europa League. I've scored in a couple of cup finals and Irish Cup finals, and they're always special. But um, for the kind of the best goal I've scored, that that would be up there. Yeah, I mean, for me, my favorite goal of yours is Balamina. <laughs> Just the sheer <laughs> that's, importance that's the of it. Type of goals I normally score four yard scuffers, really, from the six yard box. The, the, the import, they're the important goals, especially since you've came to Crusaders. I mean, you seem to have scored the big important goals, which is something I've noticed, and it's brilliant to have that, you know, that type of player, and not the cause a bit of hatred from an Arsenal fan, but it was almost, you know, Drogba, for example, always scored against Arsenal, yeah. always scored in cup finals, <laughs> and those players are invaluable. You know, for me anyway, you know the big games, the big players to step up and it's so important. Yeah, I've always had I've always had I've always had just a knack of scoring kind of scruffy goals and uh you know obviously a lot of boys always joke with me in training about scoring scrawny scruffy goals but you know there's obviously a lot of work goes into getting in there and it's like being born obviously you have to you have to run in there and you have to anticipate and reading defenders' body language and stuff, but it's, it's kind of followed me about I've, I've, since I joined Linfield. I tended to score in the big big games, the big two games and cup finals, and you know, when I've gone to the cruise, it's kind of been the same. I've scored a lot of goals, as you say, in cup finals and league deciders, and yeah, it's it's special, but I always I always just, every time I go on the pitch, I when I was younger, somebody, one of my UFC coaches, always said, you always get one chance, you know, and to be honest, it hasn't, that hasn't, really let me down that advice I don't think I've ever played a match where I haven't had one kind of 
half sniff at goal and, and normally in the big games I tend they always get a wee chance and the finishing hasn't really let me down so long, long may it continue <laughs> big time absolutely especially when you're wearing a crusader shirt long may it continue <laughs> <laughs> well Philip I've, I've really really enjoyed this and I've kept you quite a while I hope you don't mind but I've had a great time just know. chatting with you and bouncing things off you and running through a bit of your career and I hope you've enjoyed it as well as I have Top man there, no, appreciate it. Loved every minute of it. Thanks very much for having me, mate. Thank you for listening to the podcast with me, your host, Darren. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the podcast. Thanks for your time. Stay safe and tune in next time.